Three good men lived very long ago. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To an idol they would never bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Into the fiery furnace they were therefore cast. Nebuchadnezzar thought they'd never last. But God was there, he never let them go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A song we used to sing with our children when they were little. One of the scripture songs that help us remember some of the important occasions where God has worked on behalf of his people. A cute little chorus that reminds us of the fact that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah would not comply with the edict of King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down to his idol and offer uh, incense and worship to it. What we fail to realize is what was really happening in their lives. First, it starts with the fact that these were part of the group that was exported out of the land of Israel, taken captive into Babylon. And as such, they were under the dominion of a tyrant by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. They had the privilege, because of their abilities, to be trained as potential advisors for the king. They remained faithful to the uh, word and laws that God had given them in the Mosaic Covenant, along with their companion and friend by the name of Daniel. Teenage boys, no longer at home, no longer under the influence of godly parents. Pretty obvious from the integrity of these individuals. And how is their faithfulness to the Lord rewarded in the eyes of men? They're given an extreme trial and test. All they had to do was compromise their devotion to God. All they had to do was bow down before the idol that was made by Nebuchadnezzar. All they had to do was comply as all of the rest of the individuals in that empire were doing, and they wouldn't face any persecution or difficulty because of their integrity, because of their devotion to God, because of their confident trust in the Lord. The outcome was these three individuals were cast into the brick kennel to the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar thinking they would be devoured by the flames. We're not talking about stories. We're not talking about nursery rhymes. We're talking about God's people, faithfully devoted to the Lord, who are being persecuted for their faith. Now in the example of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, God intervened and God delivered them. But if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, you will find there were other godly men and women who had the same intensity of faith, who weren't delivered from the fire, 
who weren't individuals who were delivered from the mouths of lions. God in his wisdom and in his purpose brought glory to himself and what was for their best good through difficult circumstances. How about for yourself? What is it you expect in your Christian life? Have you bought hook, line, and sinker? That false theology that says if you just have enough faith, you won't meet any problems, any difficulties in life? I mean, after all, God doesn't want you to be poor. God doesn't want you to ever be sick. God doesn't want you to ever have any difficulties in life. Well, not the God of the Bible. Not the true God who rules over all. And the reality is he has a reason and a purpose for that. Very early in my Christian experience, Kathy and I heard a godly Christian gentleman sing a hymn that we had never heard before and hardly ever hear anymore. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night seasons and all the days long. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright. Don't mind being there, do you? God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night. Really don't want to choose that location. But God still leads his dear children along. Does he do the same for all of them? No. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Those concepts in this hymn those concepts, when we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, convey a very important truth for everyone who professes to be a follower of Christ to understand and embrace. And David brought it out in Psalm 34. This psalm written by David was written as an expression of David's praise to the Lord. And as such, David also wrote it to be a wisdom psalm. And as we've seen in our other times of looking at it, it was written as an alphabetical song, an ABC song, or technically known as an acrostic, where each uh, verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, because it was to convey wisdom. It was to provide people with understanding of how you need to look at life and what you need to understand. And in it, 
It is designed by David to give you and me the skill to handle what comes to us today in a way that honors God and is for our best good. We say that this psalm really falls into four parts, four ideas. The first is David's call uh, to praise the Lord, and he doesn't want to do it on his own. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Corporate expressions of praise. And how often and for how long should it be given? His praise shall continually be on my mouth. God's people will be a praising people from now and forevermore. And in verses uh, 4 through 7, David describes why it is he was offering this praise And his reason was not any different than why the saints of God offer praise to God in times of difficulty as well. For in verses 4 through 7, David said, I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Or down in verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. But what happened to David is characteristic of what God does to those who trust him. They looked to him and they were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. And it's because the angel of the Lord, God himself, encamps around his people and he delivers them. He rescues them. He saves them. And so in light of David's confession as to why he was exalting the Lord and offering praise to him on this occasion, he gave counsel in verses 8 through 14. And he said, you need to experience this for yourself. The Lord God is good, and everyone who trusts in Him is blessed. And the importance is for you to be an individual that recognizes the most important lesson you can ever learn in life is that regardless of anything else you do, anything else you accomplish, it is all worthless if you are not an individual that depends upon, trusts, fears the Lord. Because to those who fear Him, there is no want. And he stated that the way in which it is expressed in an individual's life is by the way they conduct themselves and what is characteristic of them. And he ends this psalm by saying, be sure you hear me correctly and understand. And it has to do with what David comprehended and he wants us to understand in verses 15 through 22. As we look at this psalm, David is telling us, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes they're on the mountain where the sun shines so bright. Sometimes they're in the valley, in the darkest of night. But be it on the mountain or be it in the valley, be it in the time of great sorrow, God still leads his dear children along. He is there with them as an ever-present help. And what you and I need to understand is God's care for his people is such that he will never abandon them, he will never forsake them, He will always provide what is for their best good. So he says in verses 15 and following, the eyes of the Lord, capital letters, his personal name, the eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. 
You know, you think of a mother with her children, you know, and there could be a whole group of children that are there, but a mother knows the cry of her own child. That little infant, when that infant cries, mom jumps up and is taking off to take care of that child's need. That's how God takes care of his children. His ears are always open to their cries. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servant, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. As we look at this last section of the psalm, we find that it is expressing the fact that if you are an individual that is trusting in the Lord, you are not exempt from problems in life, are you? You're not finding that the idea of health and wealth and prosperity gospel is consistent with what the scripture teaches. For many, not just a few, many are the afflictions of the righteous. God's people face a multitude of difficulties. That's the circumstance that God's people find themselves in life. Those who trust in the Lord those who heed the counsel that David gave need to understand that you are not an individual that's going to be carried to the skies in flowery beds of ease. Or as the hymn writer said, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. God's people face many afflictions in life. Now part of that is to understand that what I experience as a Christian is really not any different than what other people experience. That's part of the package. God's people face the same kind of financial struggles, the same kind of illnesses, the same type of difficulties, the same type of tensions and issues in life that are true of other people. That's not just Old Testament. That's the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the saints at Corinth. He says, don't don't you realize that you are not being overtaken by things and problems that are not common to man? 1 Corinthians 10. But the difference is, in your case, as a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, in your case, as one who is depending upon and trusting in the Lord, the Lord remains faithful and always provides the way of escape that you may endure it. God's people are not exempt from the problems of life. But God's people have a resource that those who don't trust the Lord will never comprehend or understand. It is the resource of the Lord himself. It is the fact that he is the one that undergirds and strengthens and keeps his people in his everlasting arms. It is the reality that no one or nothing can ever snatch one of God's people out of God's hand. Notice that's why he says in verse 18, the Lord is where? He's near. 
He's the ever-present help for God's people in the times of trouble. But not only do God's people suffer as other people do, God's people have the added fact of three good men who lived very long ago. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to that idol, they would never bow. Their devotion to the Lord, and they didn't compromise. And so into the fiery furnace, they were therefore cast. And Nebuchadnezzar, from his humanistic way of looking at life, thought, no one can deliver them from my hand. And for their case, in their case, God delivered them that God would receive the glory. In other cases, God didn't deliver individuals from the fiery furnace, and he still received the glory. God's people face other problems and difficulties that the people of the world don't face. I need to understand this world is not a friend of grace. That this world has hostility and hatred towards Jesus Christ. Jesus made it very clear when he said the people of this world are not neutral. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But since I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world does what? Hate you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That the world opposes the people of God. Jesus in the upper room discourse made it very clear when he said, in the world you will have many tribulations. But do you know why you're to rejoice and be excited? To have cheer? Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. There is victory in Jesus, right Jim? It is the recognition That God intervenes on the behalf of his people. And even the last enemy that God's people face. Death itself has lost its sting. Because God leads his people in triumph through Jesus Christ the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. God's people have a resource that the people of this world cannot even begin to fathom or understand. So when we look at this work of the Lord, what is it that David is implying and what's underlying what David is saying here that you and I need to understand? The things happening in the world are not chance occurrences. The things happening in the world are still under the control of the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah made it very clear when he recounted the declaration that God made when he said, I am God and there is no one like me. I am God and there is no one else. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that have not yet been done. I call a bird of prey from the east and a man of my purpose from a far country as I have planned it. So I will do it. David's son Solomon understood that when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. God has made everything appropriate for its own time. The time to be born, the time to die, the time for war, and a time for peace. Everything is under the control of God. 
to accomplish his good purpose. And that reality of the providence of God undergirded David's thought when he recognized that God's people might go through deep waters. God's people might experience the fiery furnace. God's people might be in the valley with the darkest of night. But God still leads his children along. Now, some individuals erroneously and mistakenly think, well, you can believe that if you want, but it doesn't affect me. What I need to understand is God's providential control is also being manifested over those who reject him. For those who do not fear the Lord. For those who do not trust in the Lord. That's why David just briefly twice says, verse 16, the face of the Lord is what? Against evildoers. And the reason is to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Or, down in verse 21, evil will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Now, we tend to put people into so many different categories, but the Bible does not. You're either in or you're out. You're either righteous or you're not, no matter how moral, how religious, how ethical you might be. You are either one of God's people who are called the righteous, and that would be the individual that has the broken heart, crushed of spirit, the humble individual, the servant of the Lord, the God-fearing man, the God-fearing woman, the individual who humbly depends upon the Lord rather than his own ingenuity. I am either one of those individuals or I am one of those who have turned my back on God and saying he's irrelevant and I'll just do things my way. Well, the reality is then God turns his back on that individual as well. The face of the Lord is set against those who spurn and deny him. Why is it David gave this counsel to say, do you want the good life? Do you want long life and a length of days and see good? As we looked at last time, the terminology is, do you want to really enjoy life and have what's beneficial in life? Then fear the Lord. Those who think they can have the good life and fulfillment and satisfaction apart from God are the mistaken ones who will be brought down. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. And the reality is he's going to cut off the memory of them from the earth. What's the name of the rich man who didn't want to help Lazarus in his poverty? You don't know. God never gives it. See, there are a few examples of the wicked of the earth that we can remember their names. But by and large, everybody's just kind of glad when they're gone. He's cutting off the memory of them from the earth. But God knows all of his children by name. And then their memory will last forever. Because God is the one that's near and watching over and caring for his people. If you're misguided in thinking, I'll do it my way. If you're misguided in thinking, I don't really need to trust God. I'm a good person. 
then recognize your day of reckoning is coming and you still have to stand before the Lord. Now, there are some occasions where God uses the providential circumstances of life to bring the evil person down. I think one of the greatest books of God's providence is the book of Esther. And there was an enemy of the Jews by the name of Haman. And he couldn't stand a godly man by the name of Mordecai. And he had been exalted to second in command in the Persian Empire. And he said, today I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask for the head of Mordecai. I've already built my gallows. I got the rope over the uh, limb of the tree. Now their gallows were different. It was a sharp pole to impale someone. Guess who was impaled on that post that was put up to take care of Mordecai? Not Mordecai. Haman. Haman was caught in his own evil devices. And there are times in the providential working of God that God will make known the evil desires, evil intentions, and the ludicrous designs that those who oppose the people of God really have in their daily activities. In other cases, sometimes the wicked prosper. And God's people struggle with that. And even Psalms, like Psalm 73, are written. I saw the wicked prospering like a luxuriant tree, luscious. He had all of his needs met. So satisfied was he with temporal things that his eyes bulged out with fatness. But then the psalmist said, I went into the sanctuary of God and I perceived their end. And the point the psalmist makes is God puts those individuals in the slipperiest of places. They think everything's good and everything's going their way. And all of a sudden, today, your soul is required of you. And so David says in the Psalms, evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be what? Held guilty, condemned. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Those who deny the truths of God's word, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who believe their religion is what can make them acceptable to God instead of depending upon the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ and coming to him are the ones who will be put to shame when they stand before God. But what is it that God does for his people? In his providential care, he shows kindness and compassion to them. Notice the way it's personalized. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. You know, God's watching over each one of his children. His ears are always attentive to their cry. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It's the idea of the individual who's been humble, he's been repentant, it's the same truth that David brings out in his psalm of contriteness before the Lord, Psalm 51, where he says, you know, if there was a sacrifice, I would offer it, but there isn't one. But a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. And so God's people are individuals who humble themselves before the Lord. 
And there are times in their life where they are crushed in spirit. It is the fact that they have been pulverized within. There's no resource left within themselves. They have no hope. It looks so bleak. There's no way out. But God is still near. God is still near. The point he makes here is twofold. One is, if I've been an individual that's been um, denying, rejecting, or has never heard of the reality of salvation in Jesus Christ, if I am an individual that just humbly comes to God, God won't turn you away. He delights in those who are crushed in spirit, who are brokenhearted, who come in humble repentance and say, Lord, I mistakenly was putting my confidence in myself, in what I could do and in my merit. But I come now with nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Not the good that I have done, not the things about me can ever take the place of the condemnation that I deserve. Simply to your cross I cling. But how about for God's people? When we talk about His providential care, do you understand that God is going to take you to the place where you realize, I really am in a hopeless situation. There's a reality that God won't allow you to be tested beyond which you are able, but during that time of taking and where you're uh, tested to the point you are going to think, Lord, I'm not able to handle this. And do you know why God takes His people to those places where they say, I can't handle this? It's so they will find out that we, when, we have uh, oh boy, when we have exhausted our hoarded resources, we have nothing left in ourselves, then that's when the Lord intervenes and teaches us that His grace is sufficient. He takes His people through deep waters. Some went through the flood. There's no one in His family. Some through the fires like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But every one of them is taken through the blood. And why is it that God has these events take place in the lives of His people as He providentially works? Because he's not done with you yet. Because his purpose in salvation is to deliver you from sin. From its presence, from its power, from its manifestation. And the Spirit of God is working within God's people to conform them more and more into the image of the Lord. And he will keep taking God, his own people, his dear children, through the difficulties of life. Because what it causes uh, to take place within them is an ever-clinging dependence upon the Lord to know that if God does not uphold me, there is no one else, nothing else that I can look to. And He is the one who in these circumstances is watching over those circumstances, controlling them according to His wisdom, so that God's people will learn the Lord is always near. The Lord is always sufficient. The Lord truly is the rock and the refuge, the ever-present help in the time of trouble. And even when you go through the dark times of night, God gives His children a song. In the night season, 
and all the day long. So what do we need to learn from this song? From the song? Well, God's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. He will never disappoint you if you are an individual that has put your trust in him. And he is one who is actively working in all the circumstances of your life. What does David say he's doing? Notice. In verse 17. Oh, they cry. And the Lord hears. And what does he do? He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near, verse 18, to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. And what does he do? He saves them. He brings a deliverance for them in the midst of their problem. He says it again. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Verse 22. The Lord redeems. He pays the price for the benefit of His people. And those who take refuge in Him will never be held guilty. Will never be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And the greatest of all blessings is the fact that God will not leave you in your sin. If you are a child of God and trusting in Him, God will work in the affairs of your everyday life to bring you to the end of yourself that you will recognize my hope is built in Jesus Christ, His blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust in anything else except in this all-sufficient God. Peter summarized it like this when he said in his first epistle, time for judgment has come and it begins with the household of God and if God is at work purifying, cleansing doing these things that seem to be so difficult to those who are the objects of his love what then shall be the outcome what then shall be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God If it's with such difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Depend upon the Lord. Trust in Him. Seek to do what pleases Him with a confidence in knowing that whatever may come, God is still designing it for the good of his children and nothing nor no one will ever separate his people from the Lord. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it 
is well with my soul. Thanks be to God for so great a salvation. Thanks be to God for an all-sufficient Savior. Thanks be to God that in whatever takes place in the lives of His children, God has a reason. God has a plan. And He is moving to mold and conform His children into the image of God. And only the people of God can ever say as they go through life, whatever may occur, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Thank you.